0: Well, I'm up 20 minutes later than it says on the programme, and if you think for a minute that means I'm going to preach 20 minutes shorter, that's not. That's not the case. Um, who, who, who locks up the building here? Who's, who's on duty tonight, locking up the building? Who is it? Uh, no one. Did you know that no one's going to lock up? Okay, it's safer in Holland than it is in London. Okay, fine. Um, well, I, 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 that's, that's blown my first joke. All right, no problem. Okay. <laughs> Okay, this session, Morris gave me the title. The title is What to Take With You. I want to start um, by reading to you a couple of verses from Isaiah. I will not be... Isaiah 51, the first two verses. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, or from which you were cut, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, who bore you. He was one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. We're going to look at Abraham and Sarah tonight. The Bible says that those of us who are in Christ Jesus are sons of Abraham. And when the Bible talks about sonship, it means various things, but one of those things is imitation. And the reason why it says that we are sons of Abraham is because he is the father of faith, and those of us who are in Christ Jesus, our lives are to be primarily marked by faith, as well as hope and love, but the dynamic of our life, the dynamic of our relationship with God's faith, that we believe Him, that we trust Him for the promises that He's made to us. That is why we are sons of Abraham. So we're going to look at him tonight, we're going to look at what he took with him. What did Abraham take with him when he was called to go? And draw out from there some very important principles. This isn't a seminar as such, so it's not going to be practical, it's a, it's a kind of a, an opening night of a main session, so I, I, want us, I want it to feel like we're being gathered up in something big, but by its nature there will be practical elements in it, and hopefully as we dig into the story of Abraham, I believe and confident that God will help us. Firstly, let me give you the background of the story of Abraham before he was uh, explicitly called by God to go, because I think, I don't know if anything like me, I tend to skip over that bit. It gets exciting from chapter 12. Was actually, t- chapter 11 introduces us to a man called Abram or Abram, however you want to pronounce it. There was a man called Terah. Terah. He had three sons. Abram, Nahor and Haran. These were Terah's sons. Haran died young. We're told that he died in the presence of his father. Quite a sad and moving image of this man presiding over the death of his son. But before he died, he had, he had he himself had children, one of whom was whom we are familiar with as the story goes on. After this, we're told that Terah's two sons who were left, Abraham and Nahor, they both marry. Abraham marries Sarah or Sarai, and Nahor marries Milcah. He used to work on a farm. No, Milka. Actually, I don't know if these jokes will work. They will, because you, you Dutch are better than us at English, so they should work. Okay. But married Milka. Now, Milka was Haran's daughter. So, Nahor married his niece, which was kind of how they rolled in those days, so don't worry, it's just how it, it's how it was. And then Terah leaves their homeland Ur with Abram and his wife, Sarah, and with Lot. So Nahor stays, but Terah takes his son Abraham with his wife Sarah and takes his grandson Lot. And they start the move to Canaan. This is before the Lord has got involved with the specific call. They just begin the move. Um, That part of the world is often referred to now as the Fertile Crescent and it was quite common for people to make that move uh, westwards from um, Ur of the Chaldees, Babylonia west over this ark above the desert towards Canaan that's what they did they then reach a place called Haran now Haran if you remember the story so far is the name of Terah's son who died so either they reached a certain place liked it and called it Haran in memory of him or it already was called Haran anyway they reached that place and that is where Terah the father dies so Haran Died in the presence of Terah, and Terah dies in Haran. Leaving behind Abraham, Sarai, and Lot. Into the Lord. Chapter 12. Genesis 12, we're all familiar with. God has obviously been orchestrating things sovereignly up till this point, but explicitly are told the Lord said to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, This is what it's rooted in. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Father, thank you for this amazing scripture. I pray for some wonderful Holy Spirit, power and life to come through these words I speak for the glory of Jesus. Amen. What to take with you? I've got eight things. I'm talking about twenty minutes of twenty minutes a point. So we're gonna we're in for a long one tonight. No, 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 not really. No. First thing is this. This one's obvious. Um, actually no, no. Yeah, yeah, this one is obvious. One is really, really important. Gotta be called. Now, some people would probably disagree with this. They would say, now there's a general call and we're all to go. I get it. If you're a believer, there's the Great Commission over you, you either stay and go or you go and go. Yes, we all go. I understand that. But to up sticks and move somewhere else. I believe with my whole heart, there has to be a sense, one way or another, of God being in it. Even if it's, from a natural perspective, a business move, or a family move, maybe there's someone in the family that's infirm, needs some support, or maybe it's explicitly church planting, but I believe that when when you move, you've got to know in your heart, God's in this. It's not simply a reaction to something. It's not simply, well, that that makes sense. Because we're told in Acts 17:26 that God sets the times and boundaries where we live. Why? So that so that people might seek God and find Him. And so, actually, as as God's people, when we go somewhere, it's so that those around us might seek God and find Him. It's packed with destiny, even if the natural circumstances themselves look very, very unimpressive or not non destiny-like. I mean, we look at the start of Abraham's journey. It just it just seemed to be a very natural thing that God was in it. But there comes a point, and here, it's like there's a calling that comes, and we've got to know in our heart, this is where I should be in God. I'm not just at peace about it, I've got faith for it. I've got faith that I'm in step with the Spirit, and God is going to do some wonderful things here. A clear calling out. Sometimes, there's a clear calling out, without a clear calling in. I'll say that as well. Listen to what God says. Go, and it really clear, go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house. Okay, Lord, where to? Uh, I'll show you. Now, you take notice of this, because we, we laugh it off, don't we, until it happens to us. Because it's exactly what happened to me. Exactly what happened to me. I became an elder in a church. I thought I would be there for years. Elders are supposed to be like these four things here. Pillars. I thought, I'm going to be a pillar. I'm here. Within months, I felt an internal... God's going to move us on I said to my wife I think God's going to move us on now my wife is the one of the one of the couple that hates change I'm the one that if it's change it's good that's me okay by natural term. I said God's going to move us on he said it's a spiritual move darling <laughs> it sounded really wise you know I was like oh okay it's a spiritual move and then God confirmed it powerfully prophetically unmistakably a few months later and I knew we had to go didn't know where I felt God lead me to this passage and say, will you just get moving? I'm like, yeah, we'll get moving. So we just started getting moving. We began to you know, make preparations, just do it right. Um, looking around here and there. And in that motion of moving, responding to that sense of calling, God makes it clear. For some people, they, unless they've got everything laid out, they won't start moving. No, 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 we start moving. Why? God's spoken. That's enough. It's uh, When God's spoken, that is enough. And as we take the first few steps, he unfolds the rest. That's often very much how he works because it keeps us in faith, keeps us relying on him, whereas otherwise so quickly when it's laid out, our minds and hearts get distracted to the thing and he actually wants the the fellowship with him is the most important. And he makes it clear as we go forward. So it's a calling out and sometimes it's not a clear calling in. Imagine if you'd gone to Abraham as he was getting ready to go and you said, articulate your vision, Abraham. I used to hate that. I say, we're going to plant a church. They say, tell me a vision. We're like, well, it's sort of like everyone's. It's the Great Commission. I haven't got anything that rhymes. Do you know? Or things that start with the same letter. I've got none of that. I haven't got a five-year plan. But God spoke. I can put my hand on my heart, look you in the eye and say, God has spoken, And I think he's with us. So God's going to be with us. You want to be involved. Although not many came. But we had enough. We had enough in the end. I'll tell you that as we go on as we go through the message. Now I also want to just highlight this. God spoke to him, but it was their calling, Abraham and Sarah. Sometimes God will speak to both parties of a married couple. Sometimes not. But if he's called you together and made you one, then in this moment God speaks to Abraham. But it's Abraham and Sarah's calling. I guess there's a headship thing here. What happens if a married couple, if God, if, if a wife feels God's spoken to me, then you need to just wait. You need to. I, feel, I believe it could be totally valid that a couple can move on a word directly received from the wife, but obviously the husband bears primary responsibility for that. But I think it, God, God speaks to Abraham, but it's their destiny. And I would, I would just want to. I think maybe for one or two, just want to settle your heart on that. God knows what He's doing, and He's so much more committed to your marriage if you are married than even you are. And, uh, and we, what we can ask Him to do certain things certain ways, but we can't lay conditions on Him. He knows what we need, and He's a brilliant, wonderful thing. The calling is the key. Why? Because sometimes it's going to be hard. Bottom line. When it's hard, you need to be able to say, God, I'm only here because you told me to come. And that's really, that is actually a real comfort in those seasons. Because you say, you know, I can't, I'm not here because I, you know, I thought I'd be some kind of world changer, so I just got and done this. I'm here I think you've initiated something and I've responded, now I don't know what to do now, but what do we doing? That is huge. It's absolutely... It's, it's also massive because some of the people that have joined our church have been that have been hurt by church. And one of their big insecurities is this. You're going to leave. I said this to them. I'll, I'll do it, but you're going to leave. You're going to disappear one time. And I honestly say this. I say, I'm here until God calls me out. If God calls me out, then I will leave. But I cannot leave before that point. It's an issue of obedience. It's not an issue of... It's going really well at the moment, or it's not, disrespect, that is by the by. I'm here because I've been called by the one I call Lord, and I'm obeying him. And I can't just duck out and then carry on as if I'm still following him. No, it doesn't work. It's an obedience issue. And the calling, so it's a kind of a sober, serious thing, but it's not unduly heavy. It's actually really liberating. So that's the first first thing. The second thing to take with you is this. A good name. Take a good name with you. Now, when we look at Abraham's names, normally we focus, quite rightly, because it's the main point, we focus on this jump from Abraham, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. And we talk and we preach and we laugh about it, because it's shocking, really, that God would ask him to change his name from exalted father to father of a multitude before he's had any children. We think... No, you know, and he does it he's a man of faith that's what we focus on and rightly so that's the main point but actually have you ever thought actually hold on a minute he's called exalted father and he hasn't got any children it's not as strange as father of multitude but it's, what is that? it's a good name it's a good name we, hear, we find out later on that there are, he has got 318 men who were born in his household maybe he fathered them a bit Whatever whatever, reason, whatever the reason was, the man had a good reputation before he went. And I think it's so important. If you're going to go, that you go with a good name. Now, it's a rule, and there's always exceptions to rules, but it is a rule. Here's what I mean. There's always exceptions. Someone came somewhere and there was a, it, it just didn't click, or there's a misunderstanding. It, it, no one even quite knows what happened there, but he's a good, it was a good person, you know. But it just, uh. but that is the exception. The rule is, if you're going to go from somewhere, you've done well there, and and you've been faithful there, and people speak well of you there. And people are sad to go. They're not having a big party, you know. Oh, they're going, great. You know, they're, they're, there's a sadness in their heart. So you go, why? Because you're a blessing. And because you're esteemed in people's eyes and hearts. Good name with you. Otherwise, it looks a little bit shaky what you're going to do. If you've taken a bad name with you, well, why? Wh- why? What why? like? And are you going to just reproduce that now in this pioneering sense? So it's so so key. And in the church that I help to lead, we have we have some Bibles. We have some people that just and they're amazing, they're gifted, and they're charismatic, and they're, you know, much more able in many ways than me. But sometimes I just need to say to them, just stick around and well. Just stick around and do well. Just be teachable. Just be not so unimpressive for a little while and be but be faithful that's really really important. Abraham took a good name of it. If you're going to go thirdly take some other people. Now I don't know if you're aware of this but Abraham didn't just take Lot. There were 318 others. That was just the fellas. Now I don't know about you but in my mind it's Abraham, Sarah and two camels. You know, you know the picture? Oh God calls them and off they go with the camels and the wind and the sand swirling. now nah, there was loads of them. It was a mega church plant. It was like from day one, it was a mega church. It's just inc- So now there's actually I, I'm going to suggest something here. It's not explicitly in the text, but I think there's a strong argument for it being the case, and it's this: it was great that the 318 went. It wasn't great that lot went. It wasn't great that Lot went. Now let me just show this for you because I want the point I want to make is you've got to take the right people. <gasps> The calling was, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. First point. Second point, all that Lot caused was trouble. His herdsmen are arguing with Abraham's herdsmen about the land, and Abraham has to give him the choice, which bit you want, he chooses the best bit, you know. Great. Then he's kidnapped by some kings, and Abraham has to go and rescue him with his 318 men. Then we get the Sodom situation, you know, when he's running into the hills with his two daughters. It's just a nightmare from beginning to end. And I think I just want to press home to you in a very serious way take the right people. Um, Don't take people that you're going to constantly need to be rescuing. Church plant is not the setting for that, it really isn't. I'm not saying, you know, we'll look at the other point, no one's perfect. You take people that are already limping the front line of a battle. you're asking for trouble. And so you've got to do it wisely, graciously and all of that, but you've got to get this one right. You don't want people that are going to just distract you from what you're there to do. There has to be some kind of godly, clinical, (laughs) ruthlessness, about the way you choose just being a bit practical there I don't do it often that was a big moment but mark it Um, loyalty isn't enough Um, there's people you need to leave where they are and not invite and even say no to if they want to come now listen it doesn't mean they're bad people the bible calls lot righteous lot you're you're just saying this and this doesn't match that's all you're saying it's not a match it's not going to go well are they cool are they cool so take people with you after after people you know, seeing people we've sent out and various challenges faced I've come to a, a conviction just interesting in the last few months that um, two by two which is Jesus' principle married couple is not two it's one because we've sent out a family we've sent out an, an individual person separate plants and, yeah, man, absolutely here, doing great. But I think facing, to some at points have faced unnecessary struggles. If we prepared them better and just got a team around them, I think we could have, let's not, we can avoid difficulties, unnecessary ones, let's do so. And I do think, I do think to have a core team, minimum two parties, if you know what I like, two households, <laughs> put it what you will, I think that's a really, that's a really good, it's a really good So, take some people. Um, Number four. You doing all right? Okay, great. Take faith. Take faith. This is huge. You've got to have seen something. Particularly if you are spearheading, heading this thing up. Because the reality is, is that for that first, I don't know, one, two, three years, you've... Seen it? You've got it in your heart, and that's really where it is. Right? And you, over those next, over these, over these next few years, it's going to disseminate out and become something concrete. But it's in there at the moment, and at the and in the earlier stages, everyone else is really looking to you because they know it's in your heart. They've, they've seen it in the spirit. They're gripped. God's done something in them, but it lives in your heart. It's a faith thing. And even if you may not be able to articulate it always as clearly as you would like, there's something that grips your life and your heart. Something that is, you are, people see it. They see faith in the faith. Not just shouting. Faith's more than that. Yeah, Not just new ideas. Faith's a lot more than that. Faith is a depth of conviction. Sure of what I hope for. Certain of what I do not see. God has spoken. This is very, very central. I love the life of Abraham because it's just naked faith. There's no law, there's no Torah, there's no sacrifice, there's none of this sort of stuff. It's simply we see a a pure picture of how we are to relate to God in the New Covenant. It's a beautiful thing. God makes promises and we bet our whole life on them, day in, day out. Lean into the promises of God. Trust me, trust him. Lord, you said. Lord, you said. Lord, that's the life of faith, isn't it? It's wonderful. What an adventure. How much more in a church plant where there's nothing, but there has to be something at some point. Well, God puts it inside your heart, and then it c- comes out into earthly, visible reality. We have a phrase in our house, and it's this: "Not how, but who." Not how. We always get bogged down, don't we? But oh, how's that gonna? Not how, but who. God has spoken. God has spoken. He is faithful. God has spoken. He can do it. God has spoken, He can work it out. Obviously, in the process, you have to, you have to, there is a how that happens, but that's not the heart of it. The heart of it isn't how, it's who, and nothing is impossible for him. This is, this is how, this is how the kingdom advances, friends, faith. Okay, it's not through clever ideas, not through strategies, those things are fine, but that is not how the kingdom advances. It advances through faith. God speaks, we believe Him, we bet our lives on it, we shake and bend our whole life. Into to with what God has said and God goes, wow, I love that and we have a great time together. That's how it works. God loves faith. I mean, if you look at the way God commends the heroes of faith, listen to the way he commends Abraham and Sarah. He He says this about them in, in 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Well, let's just go back, shall we, to what happened. What actually happened was, God said, this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And Sarah burst out laughing. And God said, why did you laugh? And his head round the tent, why did you laugh? He said, I didn't. He said, you did. It's a brilliant exchange, isn't it? It's so human. It's so like you you cringe reading it. You think, oh, no. What is God's account? God's account is this. She received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. How does that work? Oh, Abraham. From one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. Wow! Who is this guy? Oh, that's the guy who um, kept lying about his wife and pretending that she was his sister because he was scared all the time. That guy, what? That guy, yeah. What? What is this? What? How does this work? Here's how it works. It's wonderful. When you believe God... And line up your life with his promises, as unimpressive and flawed as it may look, God recognises you are walking by faith. And he says, wow, and he writes these amazing things about you. It's absolutely glorious. I had this I had this moment about a year ago, where I was cycling through London, and I stopped at these traffic lights, and I was I was low I just run this evangelistic course and it was a complete disaster and shrunk as every week went on and all of that you know small and small. I'm at these traffic lights thinking yeah, it's all over you know those moments so I get about at once I and uh, and then it's amazing how quick the human mind can work because all of the next thing happened during this red light praise God every now and then for red lights. so I'm there and just by like thinking about Abraham, I'm thinking, he didn't do much. He just wandered around. I mean, if you think, what did he, what did he accomplish? He just wandered around, really. Different place, I'll wander, I'll wander there, I'll wander there. just wandered. He didn't do much. Is he wandering around? Well, because he believed. So it was amazing. I thought, well, why did I run the evangelistic course? because I believe God. Oh. And it looked a bit like wandering around. <laughs> That's what it was. I believe God. And then I was like, get, I was getting all encouraged. And then this cyclist came up around the side, stopped in front of me, and on the back of his T-shirt it said this, stay focused and keep hacking. <laughs> and I was like, yes, God yeah. It was so beautiful. It really was a God, it really was a God moment. You know, I'm not into, oh, I saw a story and it said, Tanzania, I'm moving. I'm not that guy, yeah? I'm not that guy. But it was a real... Because I feel like that's, often that's what I'm doing. I'm just hacking. And I don't know which direction it is, but it's forward. So, it can't be all bad, you know? And it's like, stay focused. Okay, great. And that's the life of faith. And, uh, and God writes amazing things about us. Why? Because we're doing it. And he's not looking for impressive people, which is wonderful. Number five. What to take with you, yourself. You can't avoid that one, I'm afraid. You have to actually, if you're going to go, then you're going to go too. Um, Now, let me, what what am I saying here? I'm saying that as they went, they were still who they were. They were not transformed into superheroes. I think sometimes we think, when the call comes, I'm going to be different. Sorry to burst your bubble, but you stay the same. Um, Fundamentally. So Abraham, he's a fearful guy. He's he's, he's got a weak streak in him. Um, Sarah's a bit... She's a tricky one. She's a bit tricksy old Sarah. She doesn't always behave too well. Uh, She's a bit spiteful. They're both liars. The point being... When you go, especially church planting, it's, you're actually not going to become superheroes. All the cracks in your character, values, attitudes, relationships, marriage, are going to be exposed. After me and Davina were called by God to plant a church, we had a conversation at night, a place called Blackheath in London, lovely spot, sat on a bench, looked at one another in the eye and said, can we do this? We've been married nine years. To give you a, a bit of a hint of what we're like, after five years in marriage, there were couples, that we were youth workers, youth leaders, there were couples, years and years younger than us, in our youth group, getting married, who after six months of marriage, were more mature in their marriage than us. Okay, We were that couple. Okay? So we were looking at each other, like, can we do this? And you know how we honestly answered? We said, we don't know. God has called us. Those around us who are over us in the Lord are saying, We think you're going to be alright and we're with you. And we're not going to just leave you high and dry, we're going to support you in it. So we went. And um, there have been some very difficult times. Very dark times. I'm honest. But we're still here. Still doing it. And we're bearing fruit. So you just, you know, just be honest about that. You've got to take yourself uh, with you. And I think those cracks can either be disqualifying or qualifying. If I'm honest. And it depends how you respond to them. If you just kind of dig your heels in and refuse to change, then they can become disqualifying factors. Just being honest, it can come a point where you just you're becoming unhelpful. But if you allow the redeeming work of Jesus, if you allow the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit to keep working, keep coming, keep washing over you, keep living a lifestyle of repentance, keep humbling yourself, keep apologising, keep keep walking closely with Jesus, it can become, in a strange kind of way, the the golden strand through what you do. Because you're just a living, walking example of ongoing redemption. And people that have gathered to you can look and say, you're you're in it too. You're one of us too. We say to a church, we're just as much members of the church as you are you know, we have a role to play and we'll play it and all of that, yes, yes, yes but we're brothers and sisters in fight, I know. So you take yourself. Number six. You have to take the ability, this is an English phrase, I'll explain it if you're not used to it. You have to take the ability to roll with the punches without losing sight of the calling. Roll with the punches is a boxing phrase basically when you're boxing, there will come points in the fight where the other guy just opens up. At that point, you've got to roll with it. You've just got to dart and roll. You take a few hits, try and dodge out of the way. Basically, wait till he's punched himself out. If you're still there, you're in with a the chance. There are things that come that are just unexpected. They're curveballs. They come and you think, oh, what's expecting that? You've got to be able to roll with that. At one point, we find Abraham moving down to Egypt. We didn't go to Egypt, for goodness sake. That's not... Well, there's a famine. We've got to do something. We've got to... I've got a megachurch. We've got to eat. So they go to Egypt and think, that's that's, that's off course. Yeah, but we've got to off course because we've got to eat. Then we can get back on course. There are these things that come which actually potentially could derail you. But if once you've once you've got a clear view of where you're going, you can take the diversion and get back on course. And it's about flexibility. There are things that come that you just think, oh, I didn't realise. I didn't see it. Listen, if, if you're a five-year planner, fine i okay, not got a problem with that. just want to tell you what the Bible says. You do not know what a day will bring. Okay, so we've just got to be humble. You actually do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. You are getting what's up about next month. You don't know what tomorrow is going to be. Now that doesn't mean don't plan. I'm not saying that for a moment. But you can't hold on to them like they're the Lord. Or like it's a word from Or like it's scripture. Surprise it will come. If you're a church planter, you've got to be flexible. You have to be flexible, otherwise you'll get snapped. You've got to be bendy. Okay? Bendy church planters needed. It's really, really... I mean, think about the Hagar debacle. You know, suddenly you're sleeping with your maidservant and she gets pregnant, which was the plan, and God says, uh-uh. That, uh-huh. I mean, that would be enough to derail me. I don't know about you. I think that's, that's bad. That was a big one. That was a big mistake. And Abraham's saying, I wish he, I wish can't we just that promise you made, a baby here? was like, no. Not what I meant. Potentially enough. Ugh. It stays on course. You see it's gosh, isn't God, not God? But we we can't be crushed by surprises and mistakes and things that don't go how we planned. You let them crush you. You can get you can get snarled up and the movement stops. You've got to be able to just, <laughs> i Sometimes you run, sometimes you plot. As long as you're moving. And sometimes, to be honest with you, actually, when it's really fierce, you just stand. Yeah? But no going back. We'll get to that in a second. Ah, uh, oh, yeah. Now, another thing. Another thing, on the same point, rolling with the punches, monotony. Yeah, know, my life's just boring. Sometimes, yeah, just stuff you've got to do, chopping. Doesn't feel very glorious. Let me show you this. This, this is real. This is encouraging. The last verse of chapter 16: Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Next verse: When Abraham was 99 years old, hold on a minute. Well stop! Hold on. We just had 13 years there. What happened? Just milking the goat. Wandering around, milking the goat, (laughs) dusting off the promises, oh yeah, that's why I'm doing this, yep, okay. Is he still living by faith? Yeah, why? Well, because he's living by the oaks of Mamre. That's the act of faith. Well, why are you there? God said years ago, to wander around. (gasps) Sometimes it's not that dramatic, is it? You want the break. We love, we love a breakthrough. The charismatics, we love breakthroughs, don't we? It's all about the breakthrough. But they do come. Not always. Sometimes it's just kingdoms like a bit of yeast in the loaf. Is anything happening? Yeah, yeah. Just can't see it. We've got to, we've got to have a good breadth to our understanding of these things, otherwise you get you can get really locked up. Really locked up. Especially, especially I would say, us at the charismatic end we love the drama we love the drama it's not always like that number seven what to take with you resolve ordered a book from um, online the other day about discipleship it's called this it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction i buy it for the title I don't, I don't even I haven't got to read it the title's amazing a long obedience in the same direction no turning back there's a moment where Abraham wants to get a, a, a wife for his son Isaac and he does this thing where he puts his hand on the thigh of his servant different culture uh, uh, and he ma- makes him make this vow or, or someone's hand on someone's thigh anyway I can't remember which way round but there's a vow he, he, he makes him make and he says you must not let Isaac go back to find a wife. You, you, you sort it out. He mustn't. Why? Because God's called us in this direction. Remember Lot's wife? God said, Go in that direction. I'll just, just. Remember Jesus? If anyone puts their hand to the plough, talking about labouring in the kingdom, and then looks behind, turns behind, and not not worthy, not fit for the kingdom. One of his sharp sayings. Because when you turn around, have you ever turned around while you're driving? You've done that. It's terrible. You don't think you realize you're doing it, but you, you do that. It's terrible. Same thing happens, really. As soon as you start looking back in your honey, you start because when you hit a toughie, you know what happens, don't you, psychologically? What happens in your mind is you remember all the wonderful things from where you were before. All your wonderful friends, the wonderful worship, the wonderful support. All the bad memories you instantly forget. You remember all the good things. And what happens is you go like that. But as you do that, you do that. If you keep doing that as a driver, at some point someone's going to say you're not fit to drive you've got to stop that you've got to stop that there is a resolve about going and I'm not talking about cutting off friendships, I'm not talking about never visiting your family, I'm not talking about that it's a heart issue of saying this is now home this is the direction I'm facing in God has called me, I'm going to absolutely immerse myself in this I'm going to give myself to this, I'm going to pour myself out that is the heart of it. There was one week after when we first started church planting, and it was just, just depressing, right? Just depressing. Week one was great. All the friends and family were there. You know, it was like a conference. Ooh, i was sitting there thinking next week's going to be a nightmare. I know it is, but none of the none of the guys got it, right? It was 20. It was 22 of us. We launched publicly on a Sunday. We had a venue that seated 150. 50 seats there, 50 seats there, 50 seats there, and then two rows of plastic chairs there that we didn't even fill. Once you've got someone doing kids, someone doing PA, someone doing welcome, you know, there's no one left. Dummies to preach to me, there's nothing, there's no one there. And I'm thinking, oh no, week two. Well, week two was as expected, you know, but the, no, none of the church expected it. They were like, what's happened? It's all gone wrong. Week three, week 3 I'm standing in the foyer waiting for guests and my daughter says, Dad, didn't you say that if we prayed, people would come really loud? And I'm like, yes. Well, why aren't they coming? I'm like, oh no. Uh, You know, and we just go from bad to worse. And I remember plodding home one week with all these boxes of wires and PA stuff taking up the stairs, thinking this is just. And it's one of those moments where you just think, what's what's the point? And I, I, I it wasn't like an audible voice, but I felt in my heart it was like God saying, will you do it for me? And I sort of stopped and I thought, you know what, I will. If this is all it is, if this is all it becomes, I actually will. I just will. That's a wonderful moment. Because it clarifies what you're about. You think, you know, I, I want all this, I want, of course I want all these things, but really, why am I doing it? Well, he asked me to. He asked me to, and so I'm going to, absolutely, because it's my act of worship. That's what it is. And then finally, and most importantly, maybe, maybe, An eternal perspective. You see, lived and died a nomad. Amen Sarah. Wandering around. Bargaining for caves to put. Bury Sarah. Very impressive. What what how did you keep going? Well we're told. We're told how they kept going. Hebrews 11 tells us, it this, this says this, it says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, verse 9, of Hebrews 11, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward, oh, okay, go on, to what? To the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then it goes on in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, by having seen them and greeted them from afar. Hey! Having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. People who speak like that make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunities to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Well, what, what what are they after? A heavenly one. Now, this is massive. It doesn't say they desire a better country, a mega-church. They desire a better country, success in ministry, they desire a better country, a transformed city even. Really getting to the heart of our motivation here a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, this whole time we think we're doing something and we think this thing we're doing is the thing we're doing. Well, it kind of is, but you know, there's something huge going on. As we all labour away in our particular areas where God has called us, what we don't realise is, or maybe what we're just beginning to see, is that we are all about one thing. And the one thing we are about, these little things we're doing, we're thinking it's, it's achieving this. No, in heaven it is accomplishing something. Under the oversight of the architect. Jesus Christ, who is the Son over the house of God. Every bit of work you and I do in terms of discipling, pastoring, building up, prophesying, serving, it's silver and gold and precious stones. And there is this city bride that is being prepared for eternity that is the result of us co-labouring with Jesus. This is the big deal. And I think it's an area where we are most unlike the early church, that we are not gripped with the return of Christ. We are not gripped. We do. How often do you pray, come, Lord Jesus? This gripped the patriarchs. This gripped the early church. Their primary focus was not on fruitful ministry in the here and now. Of course we want that. But there's something even beyond that that grips our hearts. Let me just let me just. You've got to understand, the job here is never done. No matter how successful or fruitful you are, it's never done. I'm seven years in, it looks very different now from when we started, but is there? do I have one satisfied bone in my body? No. Occasionally I'll look and say, that's amazing, but it's like, on we go. It's never done. Wait, when, 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 will it, when will the church be finished? Well, it, it, there's a, well, Revelation 21. That's when it's finished. This, this is the... I want, I want the Holy Spirit, and well, I believe He wants to grip our hearts with this wonderful image. Just come with me to this place. This is a beautiful place to be. One of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues spoke to me, saying, "Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb." Verse 10 your way in the spirit, to a great high mountain. And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel inscribed on the east three gates, the north three, the south three, the west three, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 22, I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, in the Lamb. And this is the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the land. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will, and they will bring into it the glory and the honour of the nations. There it is. Job done. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Job done. Job done. And very often we look at what is seen. We are always of good courage because we fix our eyes on what is unseen. And I want to express you today, as we consider church planting, I know some of us are in the thick of it. Some of us are about to go. Some of us just testing out the water. There's some things we need to take. First a calling, second a good name, third some other people, fourth faith.